0: Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing, matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship. Two diametrically opposing forces, testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. We have a wonderful episode for you this week on Heartbeat. You know, athletes find their way into sport in many different ways, but one of the most common is through family. Leif Nordgren has forged a long career as one of the top US biathletes, a two-time Olympian and a regular on the IBU Biathlon World Cup Tour for a decade. For Leaf, it all began with family. Skiing in Colorado and later Minnesota, mom and dad, brothers and sisters have remained his biggest fans. A wonderful spokesperson for the sport, Leif joined the Heartbeat podcast from his training base in Toblach, Italy to share his stories of the sport and his role as a soldier athlete in the National Guard. And for any aspiring young biathletes, Leif will share his wisdom on how to best approach the sport. You'll enjoy this heartbeat chat with Leif Nordgren. Now let's join him from Northern Italy. And today we're joined by Leif Nordgren from the U.S. biathlon team. And Leif, it sounds like you're coming to me today from one of the more beautiful places in the world.
1: I am. Hi, how are you doing today, Tom? Um, Yeah, coming from Toblach, Italy. There's about, I'd say six or seven feet of snow on the ground here. And I just got back from a Beautiful morning ski, so it uh, doesn't get much better than this.
0: And just prior to this, you were at the World Cup in Antals.
1: That's right. Yeah, we um, we wrapped up competitions there on Sunday, um, and then we have about a week week or ten days here before our pre World Championships training camp. So yeah, just came down to Tob- tobloch to get some easy skiing in, and you know, enjoy Northern Italy.
0: So this is a little bit of a break for you in a schedule, a schedule that's been a little bit harried this year, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But in this week that you're spending in in Toblach, is it just a little bit of downtime for you and easy skiing, or do you have some training sessions as well?
1: A little bit of both, I would say. So when we finish up, you know, the typical World Cup trimester, you know, there's usually about six or eight races in a very short time frame and about you know, in about 16 days or so. So typically, the first couple of days after the races are over, we take very easy, you know, we get some good recovery in. And then, once that kind of, once we're kind of recovered and we're all rested up, then we do get back into a, a more typical um, training plan.
0: You have faced, as others have, a very challenging schedule this year. And the IBU acted this past fall to put together protocols and also to adjust schedules to ensure the safety of athletes and safety of staff and organizers. How has that gone now? We're at a little past the midway point in the season. Seems to have gone pretty well. But what's, what has been your experience, Leaf, on the IBU World Cup this winter?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, for for the way the season ended last year, you know, it, for, uh, for the U.S. athletes at least, you know, we got woken up at three in the morning, told to pack our bags, and we had a plane leaving in an hour and a half, essentially, and that was in Finland. So I think a lot of us were kind of wondering throughout the summer, throughout all the training that we were putting in, if we were even going to have a season this year. So in that respect, it was really nice that the IBU has been so kind of forward thinking in um, the way they were planning the season, the way they were trying trying to um, navigate their way around the coronavirus. So, yeah, I, I would say in general, it's just been really nice to have a season period. You know, the whole coronavirus guidelines, all that sort of stuff, it's after dealing with it in the States all summer, you know, it, it hasn't really been that difficult. Um, the only kind of, I would say, annoying thing is we do have to get a, a swab test every I think actually twice every week. So that's that's kind of the only annoying thing. But uh, yeah, no, it, it really hasn't been that bad at all.
0: Leave leading into the season, what was your training base this fall and how did you manage things there? A year and a
1: half ago, um, I, or I guess it was about two years ago now, I joined the, the National Guard and yeah a year and a half ago I got done with with basic training and all that stuff um, and then my wife and I had recently moved to Burlington Vermont or Hinesburg Vermont which is just outside Burlington so my training base for the summer was there in Jericho Jericho Vermont where the National Guard team is based that was a, a really it's a really great training setup there it was you know it it was closed for A little bit earlier in the spring um and i think it was about mid-may um when the national guard said that they could open it up um and we could start you know doing normal normal combos normal roller ski training and things like that so you know for for all the summer, everyone was kind of you know not not just athletes you know your your everyday person was kind of lamenting on how their lives had changed you know from coronavirus and it was kind of funny for all of us athletes, because, you know, for us, life really hadn't changed that much. You know, we were still training in the morning, you know, training in the afternoon and eating and sleeping in between that. So yeah, it, uh, it was a good summer of training, though. And I'm really happy to have the support of the National Guard, you know, 20 minutes from my house in Jericho. So
0: Let's talk a little bit more about that National Guard program. I know that more and more athletes, and in particular, winter sports athletes, a number of biathletes, I know some Nordic combined skiers and ski jumpers have gotten into this program as well. But tell the listeners a little bit more about this program and how it's beneficial for you as a world-class athlete.
1: Well, so, (laughs) so two things, I guess. You know, being being that I'm a little bit on the older side, um, and my career's probably winding down, I guess I would say one of the one of the big things for me with joining the National Guard was kind of having a place to go when my a- athletic career is going to be finished. So you know, now that I've joined the National Guard, um, when I do decide to hang up the skis, you know, I I have a I have a job essentially. Um, I have a place to go. You know, I have opportunities that I wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. So that was definitely the biggest draw, I think on on my side. You know the the other the other benefit of it is, and maybe not so much for um, myself since I've always been uh, very well supported by the national team. But for athletes that are not supported by the national team or, you know, maybe they're younger junior athletes and they don't get full 100 percent support yet. The National Guard has has your back, basically. You know, they have they have funding for training camps if you need it. They have funding for equipment if you need it. They have they have dedicated coaches that are there, you know, training every day with you in Jericho if you need it. So it, it's definitely a big draw. And it's it's. It's a great filler for that step between, you know, the junior national team and the senior national team, because it's, you know, it's very few athletes that can make that jump and, you know, go from being a junior to being a senior and being 100 percent supported by the national team. You know, it it takes it takes a handful of years to uh, to kind of be successful. So the National Guard is, is really good at kind of taking up the slack during that time.
0: Who else from U.S. Biathlon is participating in the National Guard program with you?
1: Um, so it's myself um, and then Sean Doherty, who is also on the the senior national team. Deidre Irwin is on the women's national team, and then we have uh, that's part of USBA is Voscek Cervenka. Um, he's he's on the junior team, um, and then we have we have a couple younger athletes, Maxime and Eli, who are. I actually don't know if they made the junior national team this year, but they're actually headed to BASIC. Actually Eli is in Basic right now, and I think Max is going soon. So yeah, there's there's not many of us, you know, with with the athletes that are not not all of the athletes in the guard team are on the US biathlon team. So there's there's about those ones that I mentioned that are on the US team, and then there's about three more athletes that are just kind of on the on the guard
0: training group. Leaf, I think that all of us, just from watching television, have this paradigm of what basic training is like and how <laughs> grueling that it is. Uh, what's the reality of it? Um, so, <laughs> for me, for me, the hardest
1: part was being around a lot of a lot of people that didn't necessarily have the same athletic background as myself. I would say. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot of different people that you know, that join the army and, and make their way to basic training. So basic training was not physically demanding um, for me. And I, I don't think Sean or, or Vashek or Deidre would say the same thing either. But the hardest thing was just, you know, being around a lot of different people from all different backgrounds.
0: No, well, that's great. I mean, it's, 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 you know, I've watched this program in, in recent years, and it really has been a beneficial one for the athletes who've, who've been involved. But I think for all of us who watch the sport, it's just a little bit of a paradigm shift ourselves to, to know that uh, not only are you training to be a top athlete, but you're doing that uh, under this great program from the National Guard. Explore a little bit more, if you could, the program at Jericho and the military's engagement in that.
1: Yeah, so um, the, the, the training venue in Jericho is probably one of the best roller ski venues in the world, in my opinion. There's about, I think there's a, there's about six kilometers of, of paved roller loop there in Jericho. They have a new 30-point range, you know, world-class range that was, um, I think they redid the whole thing. So I think it was completed about four years ago now. So all, all of the training Training side of the venue there is relatively new, which which makes it really nice. There's two full-time coaches that work with us there, Travis Voyer and Drew, Drew Gelinas, who, you know, Travis for sure has been involved in biathlon um, in the on the guard side for the last, I would say, at least 15, if not 20 years. And Drew as well has been involved in the in the ski community for the last probably 20 years as well so both of those guys both of those coaches are, are really knowledgeable they bring a lot of a lot of good ideas to for sure to some of the younger athletes that maybe don't have quite as much experience as guys like Sean or myself and then there's there's a whole there's um, basically three more staff personnel that are there to support the team you know and on the office side of things so trying to secure funding trying to secure training camps, um, and all that sort of thing.
0: We're with Leif Nordgren on Heartbeat today, top U.S. biathlete for many, many years and a two-time Olympian, and we'll be exploring that aspect of his career coming up in just a bit. Leif, let's go back to your childhood and explore a bit, how did you initially get into the sport of cross-country skiing?
1: Well, so my my father grew up in Minnesota, um, so he learned, he learned to cross-country ski I, I would say just like a lot of kids in Minnesota do by going, uh, going through the high school system there. I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, so definitely not a uh, cross-country skiing paradise, if you know what I mean. So basically, my, my, my dad taught me how to ski when I was about two years old. I, have, I also have two older brothers and an older sister who he, he also taught to ski at a very young age too. But basically, you know, I, I fell in love with the sport just through through our family family connections like that. You know, we would drive probably two to two and a half hours up into the mountains to uh, a great little place called Snow Mountain Ranch just outside of Winter Park. You know, so, and we'd drive up there for the weekend and, and spend the weekend or, or the week skiing if it was a holiday week. Yeah, it, w- it was just a great time. I have really fond memories of that time, you know, chasing my brothers and my sister around. They were they were much older than me, so they were already you know, doing a lot of racing, junior racing and things like that. But yeah, that was, that was kind of kind of how I fell in love with skiing. And then I, I didn't really start biathlon until I was about probably 15 or 16 years old. When I was 10, we moved from Colorado to Minnesota. Um, and my sister immediately got involved with the Minnesota Biathlon Club with Piat Bednarski there in the Twin Cities. And she, you know, she spent years racing as part of the Minnesota club team, and then made her way onto the junior national team. After that, and I basically just picked up biathlon by, yeah, going to those Minnesota club races and and watching my sister. You know, sometimes they'd have little um, novice races once the more experienced athletes were finished, and yeah, that's uh, that's basically how I got my start. And then um, when I was about. 16 or so. That's when I started training more full-time for the sport.
0: I know that you were young at the time, but did you see a big cultural difference relative to the sport when you move from Colorado Springs, which while it is in the mountains and it's a beautiful place, it is a long ways from skiing, moving to Minnesota where you were right in the hotbed of the sport?
1: Definitely. You know, when I was younger, you know, know, we'd be out skiing, you know, you can ski in, in winter Park. There in, in, at Snow Mountain Ranch, and you wouldn't see gobs of skiers. You know, you, you'd see maybe a handful. If it was a big race weekend or something, you know, you'd see a lot more. But moving to the Twin Cities area after that, you can go to any any Nordic ski venue in the Twin Cities, and it's just slammed with people every single every single weekend day for sure. You know, and and every single weekday, there's high school kids out skiing, junior club programs. So that was definitely one thing I noticed when I was younger is just the the ex, the accessibility to the sport was, was a major difference in Minnesota.
0: Were there some mentors or coaches who were real difference makers for you there?
1: For sure, of course. You know, I, I started off with the Minnesota team there with Piat Bednarski, the Minnesota Biathlon Club program back then. Piat was a great coach and a great mentor. He, I know he helped out my sister a lot over the years, you know, he, he's a great, he's a great ski coach. He knows, he knows a lot about technique. He knows a lot about, um, a lot about, uh, you know, all the different training philosophies that that you can have. So he, he was a great one. Um, I, sh- I should also mention my high school coach, Dino Johnson. He also ran a great, a great crew. And that was one thing that really benefited me when I was 15, 16, 17 was having a really good group of guys to train with. And we all pushed each other really hard. Um, and that that was a huge, a huge thing for me to, uh, to improve my skiing when I was that age.
0: What was your high school?
1: Uh, Forest Lake High School.
0: And this was a cross country team in high school, right?
1: Yeah, Correct.
0: So when you took up biathlon, what were some of the early challenges for you in adapting to the addition of shooting, to what you already knew in cross-country skiing?
1: I would say one of the biggest things was, <laughs> this may sound very simple, but it was just the addition of shooting. You know, I I didn't really start shooting, at least training for shooting until I was probably 16, maybe 15 Um, And I feel like even in the US, there's quite a few athletes that start shooting already when they're, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12, especially in Minnesota, I would say where there's a little bit more access to biathlon ranges than, than other places. So, you know, I I think the first year that I really decided I was going to train full gas for biathlon, I ended up qualifying for the last spot on the world junior or the world youth national team that year. I think that was 2007. And we went to um, we actually came here to Italy to what was the place? Martel, Martel, Italy um, for world juniors that year. And I think it was very apparent that shooting was definitely my weak point there at those competitions. I definitely, I definitely got my ass kicked, (laughs) but it was at the same time, it was really motivating. Um, and I, it was really, really good to find out that, you know, shooting internationally is a lot different than the shooting competitions that they have in the States. And there's just way more competition. Um, so that kind of gave me a lot of motivation to work on my shooting a lot over the next summer. And I, and I did, and it, and it made a huge, huge difference in kind of the trajectory that my um, biathlon career took.
0: Was there anything in particular you did to improve your shooting, or was it just a case of getting out there and, and, and shooting?
1: A little bit of both, I would say. So at that point in my career, I was training with Vladimir Cervenka, who was the um, junior national team coach based out of Grand Rapids, Minnesota. So yes, Part of it was definitely just getting more experience in shooting, more exposure to shooting, more work with, you know, more positional work, things like that. Vlad was definitely, he was, um, he pushed the speed in shooting quite a bit. You know, he he would have us do, we call them one-shot drill, drills, where basically you, you start from a standing position, you know, you get down in prone, you load a magazine, you take one shot, and then you stand back up. And, you know, for, for me, for a junior athlete, you know, I was definitely having trouble doing something like that in 30 seconds, I would say. And, you know, Vlad, I still remember, I think Vlad would have us do that in 18 seconds. And, you know, now on the World Cup, you know, most athletes are taking their first shot at 12 seconds. Um, so so little things like that, you know, that you you might not really think about while you're while you're watching the sport on TV, but you know there's a huge, a huge difference in the the level of shooting from, you know, from where, from where the sport was even even 15 years ago to where it is today.
0: If you start to dissect the very best biathletes in the world, how do they approach shooting when they come when they come into the range? Is it is it a case of of, of speed? or does it really vary across different athletes as to how they approach the range?
1: Um, that's a great question. You know, I would say a lot of, every athlete kind of approaches the shooting differently. I would say, you know, I, I, I definitely think that there are athletes that, that come into the range and really just kind of go for it, you know, and, and hope they, they hope they hit all five. Um, and if they do, you know, if they do that twice in the, in the same sprint race, then they're going to have a great race. You know, there's other athletes that come in that take a much more kind of relaxed, methodical approach. Um, I, think, I think the Norwegians are very good on coming in, you know, really making sure that they have the right position when they're getting in, into either prone or standing and really making sure that they're taking very good shots. So, it, you know, it, it kind of depends, I think, a little bit on the athlete, but also, you know, the coaching style that those athletes have had growing up. So,
0: I've always been fascinated by the psyche in biathlon and not having really done it, although I will say I have, I have been on the range and I, I have shot a biathlon rifle and it's exhilarating to do that. But what's the psyche when you come in and in your first prone, you come into the range and you shoot clean? Does it give you a real boost when you head back out on the track?
1: Definitely. You know, there's, <laughs> I'll say that there's nothing more disappointing than coming into the first prone in a race and missing your first shot or missing your second shot or something like that. It's a real, it's a real buzzkill. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a little
0: bit like golf maybe.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, definitely when you're able to come in and clear all five targets, you know, you you know that you did it, you did it right. You, you were working with the right, with the right um, techniques, you know, you were, you did everything that you wanted to do. So it's, it's really nice to then be able to take that kind of motivation out onto the second loop um, and then kind of, you know, be able to attack the race from there rather than if you missed a shot, you know, then you know that you're kind of, you kind of have to play catch up, you know, In, in the World Cup, you know, the competition is so tight. So there's, you know, there's definitely some athletes that can afford a mistake, sometimes even two, if you're fast enough, but, you know, I think for the majority of the field, you know, shooting zero zero or, or shooting, um, zero one, you know, in a sprint, I think is most athletes have to do that to, uh, to have a, a top result.
0: You have been competing at the top world level for a number of years. You've been to two Olympic games. Have you seen any trends in how athletes are approaching the sport over that time? Is it different today than it was maybe five years ago?
1: For sure. I I think, I think biathlon is a sport that is always evolving and will always evolve. You know, looking back to my first year or two on the World Cup, We'll just look at at uh, shooting times, I would say. You know, most athletes would shoot Crone in maybe 28, 29, 30 seconds, um, and then standing in maybe 25 or 26 seconds. So fast forward 10 years. Um, and I'll, I should go back and say that that was that was just the best athletes that were shooting that fast. So fast forward 10 years now. I would say the average standing shooting is probably 22 to 23 seconds. And then the average prone shooting is maybe, maybe 25 seconds. Um, So if you, you know, if you look at just the shooting speeds, there's been a huge, a huge improvement in the shooting speed in the last 10 years because fastest people are shooting in 18 or 19 seconds. And that, that's where I was saying, you know, a couple minutes ago, that I think there's some athletes that just kind of come in and take their chance, and if they hit all five, then then they're in a, they're on a good path to, to having a good race. But there are some athletes that, you know, take a few extra seconds and uh, you know really try to make sure that they're doing doing everything right.
0: One of the other areas that I'd like to explore a bit is the prominence of the sport, biathlon has always been, or for the last decade or two, has been a very prominent sport internationally, but it seems to be growing in stature. Athletes are starting to come over from other sports into biathlon, from cross-country in particular. Have you felt that this sport as a whole is rising up internationally amongst winter sports? Um,
1: I do, yeah. And you know, I think that's something where the the IBU, the International Biathlon Union, has done a really good job in the last 15 or 20 years marketing the sport. I, I always grew up hearing that biathlon was one of the biggest uh, winter televised sports in, in Europe. And... You know, it's really, It's you know, it, it's hard to know that if you're an American, but you know, when you come over to Europe and you turn on, you know, Eurosport in the evening, and they're playing biathlon races, they're playing replays of biathlon races from the week before, or two weeks before. It's just really cool to see that. So you know, already the the public has a greater um, accessibility to the sport than than for sure people do in the U.S. You know, and then obviously add that to the fact that certain venues in Europe can draw, you know, 20 to 30 to 40,000 fans, you know, there's, so then there's little kids that are growing up and they're going to biathlon races and seeing, you know, the Oleiner Bjorn Dahlen's and the Martin Vorkads and the Johannes Bowes. And then I assume they're just like my nephew. So then they go home from the race and they put their skis on and they put their, their uh, bib on if they have one, and they go out in their backyard and they race around as fast as they can with their toy gun and and stop to shoot. So, you know, I think that's one one reason where just the accessibility of the sport helps it to grow.
0: Yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, my eye-opening experience came uh, 20, 21 years ago. I was at a snowboard event, of all things, in Berchtesgarten, and I was just watching on television during a break in the competition, and the World Biathlon Championships were right down the road in Rupolding, And they had 20, 30, 40,000 spectators yeah. in this venue, and yeah. it was just crazy. And and for me, it was a real eye-opener and and really brought it to my attention. And I know that from there, it's only gotten bigger.
1: For sure. Um, so one of my favorite venues to go to is Novomesto Mesto in the Czech Republic. Biathlon in the Czech Republic has just is just blown up in the last um, 10 years, I would say. But we had we had world championships there back in I think it was 2013. Um, and that was one of their first times hosting kind of the World Cup there. But it was insane. I mean, I think I think they had 50,000 people pretty much every single day in racing there. You know, so you would ski into the stadium and the stadium would, would be roaring. And I mean, it, it literally would hurt your ears nearly if you didn't have earplugs in. So, yeah, it, it's incredible what, and it, you know, it makes it more exciting for the athletes too when there's, when there's that many fans in the stadium. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible what a good fan base can do.
0: You have earned your way to two Olympics, and I know that Beijing is still on the on the horizon, coming coming ever closer. Let's go back to Sochi and Pyeongchang as well. What was that experience like when you walked into the stadium at opening ceremony and and knew that you were among the world's best there to compete in the Olympic Games?
1: <laughs> it it kind of brought a tear to my eye, to be honest. Um, so I, I actually skipped the. Uh, opening ceremony in Sochi. Our our venue was about, I think it was like two and a half hours away from the main Olympic stadium, and we had a race the next day. So, kind of our our coaching staff and the athletes decided that that maybe it wasn't the best um, best ceremony to go to. But I did take part in the opening ceremony in Pyeongchang. Yeah, it was, it it kind of took my breath away and and brought a tear to my eye to know just to be in that in that situation and you know my parents were there in the stands and um I, my uh, my brother and sister-in-law were there as well so it made yeah it, it, it was just kind of undescribable to know to, to have that feeling
0: when you were growing up as a young boy be it in Colorado or when you moved to Minnesota was there any point in time where that aspiration came into your mind and you thought I could maybe be an Olympian
1: definitely um so I, I still remember watching the 1994 Winter Olympics from Lillehammer. And, you know, we, we lived in Colorado at the time. So uh, it was Bjorn Dolly who was the one of the great and Thomas Allsgard, I guess, were two of the great Norwegian skiers at that time. And they, you know, they were my favorite. I, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to ski like them. I wanted to ski as fast as they did so that, you know, from that time frame, there was there was always the thought in the back of my mind, like I I really want to be kind of a, a champion skier, and it it definitely helped out being the youngest of four kids. You know, my my two older brothers at that time were already racing kind of the the junior national qualifier circuit there in Colorado. Um, my sister was she was actually probably starting to race too. So it, you know, it helped to have that kind of competitiveness from within the family. And if, if there was one thing growing up was that I hated to lose in a ski race to my sister. (laughs) Um, so, you know, little things like that definitely kind of stoked that competitive spirit that I had inside of me. And it's funny at that point, I had no idea what biathlon even was. Um, you know, I, I thought I always wanted to be a cross country skier, but you know it, when when i when I did find the sport of biathlon, you know I, I fell in love immediately, and uh, yeah, it's all it's all kind of history from there.
0: Those 1994 games in Lillehammer were just the quintessential perfect Olympics in the homeland of the sport. Great competition, strong Norwegian team. Uh, It was quite remarkable, actually, to go to that cross-country venue and see the tens of thousands of Norwegians who had many had camped out all night just to be trackside for those races.
1: Yeah, and it's, um, you know... Cross country skiing in Norway is and always will be just a hugely pop popular sport. Um it is really funny still to watch um the World Cup cross-country races in Norway. And it's the same thing. You know, there there's people that camp out the night before along the ski trail. You know, I think for the for the Holman Colon 50K, I think there's typically I want to say 100,000 people that go to that race. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's the number that comes to mind. Um, but, you know, you can see it on the TV. There's, there's people five, five deep the whole way along the course. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's really just a special sport there in Norway.
0: As an athlete, you really benefit from the support that you get from organizations like we talked about with the National Guard and also U.S. Biathlon. And my observation has been with U.S. Biathlon now over the last four or five years that the program is really growing in stature. There is strong support. As an athlete, what are the things that you look to U.S. Biathlon for to help you achieve your goals in the sport?
1: Um, so th- I, I feel like that's kind of an ever changing question. Definitely when I was younger, um, when I was a junior athlete, you know, the, the things that I needed were the right, the right coach, essentially, to kind of start me, um, start me on the right path, you know, get me thinking about the right things for, for shooting and for skiing, and then I would say access to racing, you know, and so at, at that point, being on the junior national team, I, I had that access to, to come to Europe, to race other, you know, kids that were my age, whether it was 18, 19, 20 year old uh, age group races, um, and really get the, get the experience that I would need um, that would kind of, yeah, propel me onto the World Cup later you know now i would say it's a little bit different i i think i think that is still the same maybe for other junior athletes you know they need they need good coaching and they need experience to european competition for me now i would say the biggest thing is still still coaching you know it it it's still having access to a coach who will bring new ideas new thoughts um a new you know new training plan so we've had, we've had three different coaches in the last probably four years, starting with, um, with Per Nelson and Johannes, jo- Jonas Johansson back in, um, at the, at the end of the last Olympics. Um, we went one year for Mickey Grace from Germany. Um, and then this year at the last two years, we've had, um, Vegard Bittnes, who, uh, is from Norway and, the, yeah, the level of, of expertise that Vagard brings to our team is is just incredible. I mean, he can sit and talk for hours about all sorts of different things, whether it's technique, whether it's um, training theory, shooting, shooting technique, basically anything. So he's, he's insanely knowledgeable. Um, and that's, I think that's one thing that, that will help out our team uh, immensely in the coming years.
0: Leaf, what counsel would you give a junior cross-country athlete who's thinking about switching over to biathlon? What counsel or advice would you give them from the experiences that you've had?
1: <laughs> so the first thing I think I would say is that shooting is a really difficult sport to pick up. So, so don't expect to, uh, to make any, any changes or any, uh, any huge improvements in the first year or two. Our old our old high performance director, Baron Eisenbeekler, used to say that it takes twenty years to make a world championship biathlete, um, or a world class biathlete, I guess. And I, you know, I, I think you can really see that with um, Tim Burke and Bull Bailey, who were on our team and just retired a couple of years ago. But, you know, they were in the sport for a really long time, you know, and it it wasn't until they were in their mid thirties, early thirties that they really started having um, a lot of success at the sport. So, you know, for, for the athletes that have come over from cross country skiing in the last couple of years, I think it's just really important to know that um, that shooting is a, is a really difficult sport. It's completely opposite from um, you know, the mentality that you need to bring into cross country skiing. And it just, it takes time to learn, Kind of the nuances of uh, of shooting.
0: Leaf, one more serious question, and then we'll move on to some fun stuff. But you grew up in a family that loved the outdoors. Your parents got you out and got you on snow, and you've gone on to forge a great career in in biathlon. As you think back, what has sport really brought to your life, and how has it enriched you as a person?
1: I would say, I would say, yeah, it's it's just brought me kind of the love for the outdoors. I love, I love doing all things outdoors. I love fishing. I love hiking. I love biking, canoeing, you know, anything outside. I I really love to do. I, I don't think I could ever be one of those people who sits in a cubicle, you know, at their office desk job, 24, um, not 24 hours a day, but, uh, you know what I mean? Some so, do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I met my wife, um, a couple years ago, You know, we, we both love to hike. We both love to run every she, You know, she loves, I'm teaching her how to ski. So it's just, you know, yeah, I, I, I love spending time outdoors. I love spending time with other people that, that like spending time outdoors. Sport in general is, I think, a, a great way to, uh, yeah, to live a happy life, I think.
0: It really is. And I really appreciate you sharing all of your thoughts with us here today. We're going to move on now to what I call On Target, just a series of fun personal profile questions for you. So you ready to go?
1: Already, let's do it.
0: Simple one, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I ask everyone your favorite biathlon venue.
1: Now, so I, I have to ask a counter question. Is that... Is that just the ski trail or, or is that, you know, the food and the housing? Is that everything combined?
0: Well, I, th- I think it needs to be the whole package. The whole package, okay.
1: Yeah, I, would, I think that's pretty easy. I would definitely say on um, Toltz here in Italy. It's just a beautiful area. You know, it's northern Italy. They have great food here. The ski trails are always in great condition. The snow is always nearly perfect, so... Um, yeah, Antolts definitely takes the cake for that one.
0: Do you have a favorite Italian meal that you look forward to every time you're heading to Antolts?
1: Pasta. Anything pasta, for sure.
0: Anything pasta. It is amazing. And as we talked about at the top of the program, you, you really travel into some great places. Let me ask you a derivation of that question, though. Is there, is there a cross-country ski trail in the world that stands out as that place that's just always in your mind. Maybe a great memory you've had there. So I'll
1: just—I guess I'll just say that one of my favorite places to ski, period, is actually Mount Van Hovenberg in uh, in Lake Placid. When when all when there's a lot of snow there and all the trails are open, I, I just feel like you can't beat you can't beat the skiing there. It's just it's just incredible.
0: What is a fun activity for you outside of skiing? Ooh, that's a good question.
1: My wife and I have a dog. um, So I I also, I enjoy doing basically anything with my wife and my dog. You know, we spend a lot of time outside. We're big paddleboarders. We recently started mountain biking um, with the dog too. So yeah, I I would say, you know, anything like that.
0: How about a fun childhood memory growing up in Minnesota?
1: So one of my, I'll keep it biathlon related. <laughs> my my first, uh, or I should say that every spring the, the Minnesota Biathlon Club would have a they called it recruitment camp. So they would bring kind of all the all the experienced Minnesota biathletes, and then any sort of. You know, novice skiers, high school skiers that wanted to try out biathlon, um, and they could come to this camp over the weekend and, you know, kind of kind of get some exposure to the sport. And so, one year, I think I was probably fourteen or fifteen. Actually, no, I was much younger. I was probably twelve because my sister was um, was still in high school. So, so I I went to this camp and. All of the all of the older athletes on on the team kind of knew that I was Sonny's younger brother, and um, so they I think they kind of took the opportunity to to pick on me a little bit, you know, maybe more than they would some of the other athletes that they didn't know, and and it it was fine. It was all it was all good natured, you know. There was no issues or anything, but (laughs) I definitely remember they were like chasing me out in this field one day. They were let's see what, what happened here. I I think, I think that we were kind of like wrestling and I ended up punching one of the guys in the stomach um, because I, I, it just kind of happened and and then I ran away and everyone kind of, yeah, no one really gave me crap after that. So
0: um, it was, yeah. You stood your ground.
1: I I stood my ground and yeah, it worked out after that. They, they, they didn't know me as just Sonny's younger brother. They knew me as leaf after that. So.
0: Excellent. Did you have a role model as a young boy, whether it's in sport or life, anyone that you really looked up to?
1: I definitely looked up a lot to both of my older brothers. From a young age in in sport, you know, they were they were kind of my skiing role models. So my oldest brother Eric is 10 years older than me and then my my other brother Kirk is 8 years older than me. So you know, when I was learning how to ski, they were already competing um, to try to make the, the, uh, the junior Olympic team, um, in Colorado. And so, yeah, looking up to them skiing wise was something, you know, I, I always said well, you know, I, I want to be able to make the, the junior national team someday and go to the junior Olympics and, you know, maybe someday ski faster than Eric and Kirk do. So yeah, they, they were definitely, um, kind of my, my early role models when I was younger
0: one of the benefits of being the youngest.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that, <laughs> that definitely helped me out because they, they kept on skiing all the way until they were in, um, out of college. Um, both, both of them went to the University of Minnesota in Duluth. So, you know, I, I got to watch them ski and race, you know, all the way until they were 22 or 23 years old. And at that time, you know, I was... I was starting to get more involved in, in kind of junior racing. So, um, I kind of always had that motivation there, um, to, uh, to excel.
0: In these crazy pandemic times, have you and your wife developed any particular Netflix binge yet? (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's see. So last year, both Caitlin
1: and I were, were pretty big into Outlander. I think we watched pretty much every season. And I think she might, she might've watched the whole show more than once last year. So yeah, we, I mean, we didn't watch a whole lot of Netflix over the summer. We were, uh, like I said earlier, we had just moved into our, to a house last winter. So I think this, this last summer we were kind of, um, we spent a lot of time doing some home improvement projects and and things like that.
0: One last one to test your mind in one word, Leaf. What does biathlon mean to you? Ooh,
1: that is a great
0: question.
1: I would say, yeah, that is, that's a harder question than it sounds.
0: I know I tell people it's easy, but it's not.
1: <laughs> um, I, w- I would say freedom.
0: Freedom. I love it. Leif Nordgren, it has been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit more, and I wish you great success at the World Championships and on your way to Beijing.
1: Thank you. uh, Yeah, thank you very much for your time, Tom, and I look forward to chatting with you again.
0: What a great representative of U.S. Biathlon. Thanks to Leif Nordgren for taking time from his schedule to chat with us on Heartbeat. We hope you're enjoying Heartbeat. You can help us out by taking just a moment to write a review and also make sure you subscribe so you get the episodes sent directly to you as soon as they're out. You'll find Heartbeat on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We'll be back with another episode of Heartbeat soon. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. For all of us at US Biathlon, thanks for joining us on Heartbeat.